0: Hi everyone, it's Ashley Groenwald with Hunter Row Real Estate and this is my friend Amy and she's joining us today as the expert. Um, so we're going to ask her lots of questions just in regards to this topic of ADHD. I think it's something that I'm finding myself talking about with some of my other friends and other moms that I know and so I wanted to ask her from her professional perspective what she's seeing um, in kids or in the different people that she's Talking with in her practice as a psychologist. So Amy and I became friends when we were um, in Bible study fellowship together. Um, and so we became friends and have you know gotten to know each other over the last couple of years. And just, I've really admired the work that she's done and was just curious to see if she could share some of her knowledge with us. So have asked her to join us today. So thanks for being here with me, Amy. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about... Um, your family, what you do, and and then we'll jump into some questions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I love that you are not just a realtor, but that you are interested in all things on how to build the home and make yeah. the home um, a really lovely place. So yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So I am a psychologist. I'm also a mother of four small children, seven, four, and a couple of two-year-olds. And so I have the privilege of working in a private practice called Raleigh Psychology here in Raleigh, of course. And I do mostly psychological testing. I keep a small therapy caseload. I specialize in ADHD. You certainly see a lot of children, initial diagnoses, and then also uh, in, into young adulthood
0: and adulthood as well. Awesome. And when she says she has a couple of two-year-olds, it's twins. <laughs> so literally a couple of two-year-olds. Um, so. I know I am very interested in mental health and just overall psychological health. Um, I don't know if that's been ingrained in me as a little girl. My mom always had an interest. So it's something that's very familiar that we talked about. I even got in school. I did a minor in psychology just because I think it's very helpful to understanding people, friendships, marriages. We talked about that the other day, Um, all these little nuances of our personalities and, and just our mental health. And so this is something that we've been hearing a lot about more recently. I don't know how long the past 10 years, I think the ADHD kind of concept has been talked about more, brought up more with kids. And so I know I've I've got some moms, friends out there that say say that maybe flippantly, kind of like funny, joking, but then other people that are probably not even aware that they actually would be diagnosed ADHD and then frustrated with themselves. And that's why I love this topic that we came up with fighting for focus. Cause I think that's a better way of saying it, ADHD has maybe a negative connotation to it. But to say fighting for focus, I think we can all relate to that. Absolutely. So I guess, you know, just to get us started, what exactly is ADHD? And maybe some myths that we have heard about it in our culture, that are common assumptions we have about it. Would you share a little bit about about that? Absolutely. Yeah, such a good question. Because
1: Really, the field as a whole decided on diagnostic criteria for this in the 80s. And so you and I, I think growing up around the 80s, it was not so commonly known. Mm -hmm. I think we certainly, if we had any exposure to it, it was, you know, well, let me just ask you, when you thought of ADHD, who do you think of? Who's the first one that comes to mind?
0: I mean, it was just the hyperactive kids in school that couldn't focus. I think that's what, you know, it wasn't something that affected me in my mind. It was the kids that were rambunctious.
1: Yes, absolutely and then disrupt it and so I mean I certainly remember you know someone getting medication at lunchtime and but that was that was really about it and so really even in the last several years you changed the way that you look at the diagnosis so now people will say oh I, I had a but I don't have ADHD. And so technically they're saying something that's accurate. But recently we changed the criteria to where we say, so ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And then we have three different types within that. So we can have someone who's predominantly inattentive. So they are forgetful, they're losing things. You they might be looking right at you and not tracking between what they're saying in conversation. These kids very often get overlooked in school because they are not achieving up to their potential. So they're not telling you that because They only know what it's like to be inside their own brain and what it's like to struggle to focus, but they obviously can't articulate that to you. Then we have the hyperactive impulsive, which is more of what you're thinking about and what's familiar to you. Um, And then we have people who meet criteria on both fronts. We call them combined type. And so this is going to look differently at various ages. People are going to have learned to cope differently depending on their career and depending on where they're at in life. Um, But. There are lots of adults getting diagnosed now because there just wasn't the awareness of ADHD, just because of the way that the criteria is evolving and just as the education in the field is growing. To your point, yeah,
0: that makes sense. Um, and so, I guess how how do we determine what is developmentally normal for attention versus it being a concern?
1: Yeah. So when I think when you have a five, six, seven year old boy and they get home from school and you want them to sit down and do their homework or you want them to sit in front of a TV screen all day and they're having a hard time doing that. Could there be an attention problem? Maybe, or maybe it is normal for them to need to get big energy out. Maybe they need to go outside and play for 30 minutes before they settle down to do anything else like that. Um, And so, what we would look for is, first of all, across context, so that it's not just that they have a hard time sitting home to do their homework, but we would probably be hearing about it from the teacher, for instance, that yes, boys are active, but he's especially active. Or yes, you know, this girl, she can struggle to focus. She's, for instance, on her paper, there might be multiple gaps where she can do the first couple lines and then she just entirely skips and goes down to the bottom, things like that. So we would just see patterns over time and behavior across multiple contexts. So that was when you might start to think, okay, I might want to ask some questions here. I might want to ask how my child is in terms of their development compared to their peers. That could be in sports, athletics, that could be academically. Yeah. That
0: nature. And are you doing the testing with your patients? Are they coming in and are the parents asking for you to test them and then going from a diagnosis?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this can be done in multiple different ways. Sometimes people go straight to their pediatrician and they can do an initial round of triage, really, where they say, Yeah, let's give you an initial scale, and then they might say, "Okay, let's refer you to psychologists, as someone like me who would do that Mm -hmm. testing." So we would look at both the subjective measures, where we get information from parents, from teachers, from the child themselves, and then we do objective testing. So we do things where we put them in a microcosm, give them a very boring something to do, and we track statistically what happens over those, you know, brief ten or twenty minutes. We Mm -hmm. test executive functioning, so that working memory. Forward planning, executive functioning is especially a sexy word in the last several years. Uh, it's necessary for all levels. And yet sometimes we struggle whether we have an ADHD
0: diagnosis or not. And, and I guess um, if, you, if someone was listening right now that had a child that they're starting to maybe see some of these red flags that that's concerning to them, mm. is that where you would suggest starting? Is going to a pediatrician and then getting connected to someone like you?
1: Yeah, I think that would be a really good first start to ask the pediatrician, "Um, this is what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes there can be a misunderstanding that my child has to be struggling in school, that they have to be a big behavior problem in order Mm -hmm. to meet criteria for this. And oftentimes what we see is where we might have someone that's capable of achieving at this level, they're um, achieving here and the standard is here. So they might be technically exceeding the standard, though sometimes with a ton of effort and a ton of sacrifice, and that might be a ton of struggle at home. And so what we are trying to do is understand the gap between the capability, the level of achievement, and how we help them achieve at their own optimal
0: functioning. Okay. And if someone did seek professional guidance, what are some of the outcomes that could come from help, essentially?
1: Yeah, Yeah. and I think sometimes we can get stuck in the mindset that it's only medication that would be an option. And sometimes people have pretty strong opinions about medication, especially depending on the age of the child. But truly, our evidence is actually much more supportive of a combination approach that medication may be a part of that. Um, There are other medications that are not stimulants. so It does not have to be a stimulant medication. Um, And then behavioral therapy is another strong component. And that is where we are looking at the structuring of life most often. So I'll go on a tangent. Um, So with attention difficulty, working memory can be challenging. And so what we want to do is, Offload that working memory. So I'm going to back up and define that real quick. So um, when you ask your child to do three things in a row, mm-hmm. I know yours is young, but how many can she remember? Typically,
0: I mean one to two, maybe, but yeah. generally and, one.
1: And developmentally, that's really normal. We want sure. to see that in, like increasing over time. But you know, if your 10 year old, you know, 15 year old can only remember one of three things, we're thinking, okay. You know, there might be something there we want want to look at. So working memory would require that child to remember three things. So that might get your shoes, grab your water bottle and your backpack. Mm -hmm. And so we can teach strategies for that. Mm -hmm. And we can also put structures in place to where maybe... The shoes and the water and the backpack are by the door the night before. So we're not having to mess with those in the morning. There's always a place where that water bottle is. The shoes are always in this certain place. So when it's time to go, we're not searching for those things. Mm -hmm. We already know where they are. And so the list isn't three things. The list is one thing. It's go to this one place because those items are already there. So the behavioral therapy piece is partially trying to offload the demand on working memory and just overall creating... (laughs) organization structures we're wanting to improve that ability improve those muscles um, and also create infrastructure where the child can be successful so that i just gave an example of the home life at, Mm -hmm. at school this is going to take a number of different formats so for instance the adhd brain does best with immediate reinforcement It's very hard when you leave in the morning and you say goodbye to a child and say, behave today or else, because they remember that for about 10 seconds. But if there, for instance, is a behavior report card at school, where on the hour, every hour or every 30 minutes, depending on what we're looking at, the child knows that they're going to be getting feedback on their behavior. Mm -hmm. They may be able to hone that behavior because we have now brought the potential consequence or reinforcer much closer. So the child knows that, you know, when that clock gets to the six, I'm either going to get a gold star or I'm going to get a red mark or I'm going to get moved up or I'm going to get moved down. And then they have a reaction to that. And then they have many opportunities throughout the day to modify that behavior, to get them to where they want to be. Because I think honestly, they really do want to do well. They don't like getting in trouble. They don't like missing the assignments and forgetting what they're supposed to do. It's hard. And over time, it really can contribute to shame and other emotional difficulties. So all of that to say, the behavioral therapy component often provides the infrastructure. And if medication is a wise choice, it can activate um, the success and improve the opportunity for those strategies to be successful.
0: And I don't know that you have anything to say yet about kind of the world we're in now with all the virtual learning. I can only imagine what that's doing to our kids. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I mean, I think it's hard hard. I mean, I think overall, let me just say there are so many beautiful things about the ADHD brain. I mean, it is often entrepreneurial. It is innovative. It's creative. It looks for uh, different ways to solve things. I mean, Steve Jobs at ADHD, I mean, he did not have the education. He did not have the like experience to support the way that he really revolutionized our society in terms of The technology that he produced. Yet that brain, just the way that it works, he was so far ahead of the times. Uh, Many other examples. Michael Phelps is one of them, just with his career, the way that he was able to push through and harness that energy. Jeff Neely, creator of JetBlue. I mean, just the way that he revolutionized air travel. I mean, just these people that think outside the box. So, having said that, even we'll get to virtual learning in a minute, but even before that, the way that our education system is built is not typically tailored to the ADHD brain. Sitting behind a desk, being expected to look, listen, take in, meaningfully make sense of information from only one source, visual learning is challenging. Most brains do best with multi-sensory learning. If we can t- hear it, See it. If we can make multiple connections in the brain, it's much better for us to be able to encode something to long term memory. And so, being asked to sit behind a desk and just be a passive recipient of information is really hard. And then the virtual learning. Oh, mom is out there. I am just hear you. I I just can only imagine how difficult I had a mom in my office the other day, and I cried with her. I mean, I just the burden on your shoulders right now. And did I just hear there is some good news from? Locally, Wake County, that there is some movement toward getting back in person?
0: That's what I think I've heard too, but don't want to, not certain, but sounds like it.
1: Oh, no, I just do think that that struggle is real. And so I know that every school, it seems like the charter schools versus the entirely public, it seems like there are different levels of flexibility in there. But oftentimes you will notice that your child may have a certain length of time that they can be productive and focus well. And then they may need a little bit of a break. And so I think the challenge will be providing breaks that like feel like breaks, where they can feel refreshed and then re-engage well. And so it, the, for kids that especially struggle with attention, it may be helpful to like talk to the teacher offline and just say, we may be taking more breaks, but we are doing that with the intention that we want to give our best attention and that that may need more breaks for us. Some other ideas, if this is where you're going with this, like wobble chairs, sitting on an exercise ball, just giving that brain a little bit of passive movement um, can help to focus cognitively better. Fidget objects are going to be your friend if they don't have to be riding at the same time. There are some really great options on Amazon, like the stretchy ones I especially like. I think that they can be pretty satisfying um, just in terms of the way that you can touch them, hold them, feel them, and then also move them. The spinners are good too. I mean, I think honestly, there's so many more options out there right now. Just finding ways to keep the brain stimulated, and engaged, and even just that component of bringing the reward closer. So instead of it just at the end of the day, oh, we made it through another day, but celebrating each hour that that it's going well when you see your child focusing well acknowledge that. Try not to wait for the times that they're off task to tell them to get back on task. But if, if you even see for two minutes that they're focusing well, um, you know, rub their back. I mean, it's hard for them too. It's hard for you and it's hard for them. And so just really trying to align on those goals. I want this for you. I know this is hard for you and I want to be able to help you and let's work on these sorts of things.
0: Just some ideas. I love that. I think those are awesome and I think other people see that too. Is there environments or activities that you would say if if a child has this or is close to struggling with the type of thing that you would say these wouldn't be good environments for a child that may have ADHD or just things to encourage parents maybe to do or not to do with. A child like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think not necessarily things not to do. I think more things I'd like to encourage you to consider. So like martial arts, for instance, is a really good one. There is really good research to support that martial arts improves that executive functionability. I mean, things like Taekwondo, you are learning forms, so which are multiple step components where you have to remember the sequence of, of steps. And then you are also in a public environment where you are encouraged to follow those social norms. You are really learning that self-discipline. You are having to respect someone other than your parents. There's a lot of self-control that's required and impulse control that is required for the ADHD brain. So they say, generally you would say, ready, set, go. The ADHD brain misses set. It's just ready, go. So there's, we need to, Train and to insert that pause before acting, and so another component that's like sort of a adjunct therapy that you can do with ADHD and other line of behavioral therapies. Neurofeedback is one of those options that really tries to train the brain. There are other options in that those ways too. I mean, we're looking at um, taking a segue from activities just to other therapies, but diets, increasing proteins, increasing vegetables, limiting sugars those sorts of things can help. Ask your pediatrician about maybe incorporating fish oils, um, omega-3s. There's some research to support that that can help. So it doesn't just have to be the stomach medication. There are other things to help to support the brain to focus. And so Back to the activities piece, any sort of aerobic activity is really helpful to burn off that energy in a healthy way. So martial arts is a really good one. Soccer, I mean, basketball, just keeping them moving, running. Um, we want those kids at the end of the evening to be tired. We want them to get really good restorative sleep. The ADHD brain naturally does not produce as much melatonin as the non-ADHD brain. So it may be naturally more challenging to get to sleep. And so we want to make sure that those that gross mode activity has happened, that they have burned off their energy in a healthy way uh, so that they can get
0: to sleep well. And I think that's maybe where I was wondering, like, with all the stimulation, like an arcade or a movie theater or video games, are those great options? For, I mean, clearly, anytime aerobic exercise or activity, that, that's going to be the best option. But... I just was wondering if that type of stimulation is too much Yeah. Um, in general, maybe for kids, yeah. but would you say especially for the ADHD brain? So the ADHD brain is going
1: to be much more drawn to that than the non-ADHD brain because it loves mm-hmm. that immediate reinforcement. It's mm-hmm. hard for it to wait its turn. And one way to look at ADHD is it's the brain constantly trying to avoid boredom, really on both types of ADHD. So on both the inattentive and the hyperactive impulsive side. So on the inattentive side, it is thinking about something else because it's having a hard time focusing on what's in front of it. And so, in the hyperactive impulsive side, we're often doing something with our bodies because we're having a hard time just listening to the material or whatever it is. Or we're, our brain's going like this, so we're not able to just focus on what we're supposed to focus on. So, all of that to say, the 82 brain is going to especially love the video games and the things that it can get that immediate feedback from. Phones, especially, um, same type of thing. I mean, I it is immediate gratification to go to your phone and to un- many different friends to use your phone as your alarm clock, your source of news, your email for kids, games and messaging and schoolwork and all of these things. I mean, in general, I just try to recommend that we use each device for what it's for. So, use an alarm for your life, use your computer for your email, use an iPod for your music. I mean, as much as we can keep this one device from being the center of our universe, I think the easier it can be to disentangle these different functions. And let's be honest, our kids learn from us. So if we are so tied to our phones, and I am guilty, but if we are so tied to our phones, then they're going to learn that as we're modeling that they will learn that. So, So to your point, Ashley, I think especially right now it's hard with virtual learning because they are on screen so much of the day that blue light is hard and I've heard a lot of moms getting smart and doing like blue light glasses and you know people are taking the blue lights off of their phones by doing the nighttime mode and there are different things that you can do with that and just in general good sleep hygiene would say we are not on screens for at least three hours before bed. I mean, I just have people roll their eyes like crazy at me when I say that. But the research really supports that even if we're able to fall asleep, the quality of sleep that we get is far worse than if we were not on those screens. Because what that blue light does is it simulates the brain to say it's time to be awake. And so it's confusing. So it messes with those circadian rhythms. And so as much as we can avoid that in the three to four hours before bed, the better. So that would mean saving activities that don't involve that for later in the evening. So it really does take a big shift in lifestyle and in mentality, um, but it's worth it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then just curious, I don't know how common it is for this to run in families, but let's say like you being a mom of four and one child struggles with this. Do you have any encouragement, um, thoughts, ideas, suggestions for the mom or dad who's trying to keep life as normal as it can be for the family as a whole? Like we were talking about decreasing sugar content for the one child. That could be hard if the others are eating cookies in front of them. Yeah. Um, so just thoughts, encouragement, um, ideas for the mom or dad who has one child that struggles, but not everyone.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think this is this is a component where those things that we mentioned that are helpful with the ADHD brain are still helpful for the non-ADHD brains. And so if we have shifted our lifestyles and our structures to be limiting sugar, to be limiting screen time, to be increasing physical activity, um, to be increasing our You know, leveraging of infrastructure and systems that offload our working memory. Everyone's going to benefit from those, and so I do. So I do think it's hard to feel like other children's experiences are being modified or sacrificed in some way. Yeah, I just think too thinking about the long term benefits of these lifestyle modifications can help to outweigh or mitigate some of that concern.
0: I love that because I think that sometimes a, a parent can be overwhelmed and say, well, I can't have this kid eating this diet and nobody else doing it. It's like, so we're just going to do medication, which if that's what you decide to do. That's what you decide to do. But like you said, everybody, even the parents can benefit from decreasing screen time and eating well and being mm-hmm. active on a walk instead of watching a movie together. So mm-hmm. Seeing it as the benefit for everyone versus just one child having kind of limitations on life, make yeah. it positive, I guess. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I just, I love this process of trying to learn more about ourselves and about the way mm-hmm. that God made our brains, because I, yeah. like I said, there are a lot of strengths and benefits to the ADHD brain. There's one writer that I really like how he put this, and this book is a little bit old school, but he identified the ADHD brain as more hunters. As looking for the next, like, you know, long time ago, looking for the next hunting or the next place to settle. Whereas the non aged brain was more farmers. And so it was more one foot in front of the other, doing what needs to be done. And we are really all better for the complementing of those different ways of looking and being and so as much as we can see the beauty and the benefit there are going to be periods of struggle school can be difficult it's not always difficult for the age room, but it can be hard oftentimes later on in school and college when you get to choose your own classes or when you can see some benefit uh, in certain material it can be easier to care about the academic piece Um, And oftentimes they end up picking jobs that are a good fit. Innovative type Mm -hmm. jobs, sales type jobs, things where the environment is different every day. Um, Those types of jobs can be really great. So there are a whole Mm -hmm. bunch of great options for people whose brains work differently. And I think there's a Uh, just needs to be some tempering yes there are some risks with whatever we're looking at and also there's a lot of beauty there so how do we look at both and
0: balance and and just because we're out of time but we would love to know like if someone's listening to this now and says this sounds like this could be really beneficial for me what are you doing in that time with that child is the parent there with you is it just you and the child what does a session with you look like if that, that's one of the focuses, is the child struggling in school because of ADHD?
1: For the assessment piece or for a therapy component? Therapy. Yeah. So that's really going to depend on the presenting component. So just like the, the diagnostic part itself, we need to see things in multiple components and multiple spheres. And just like the diagnostic criteria does not entirely, every kid with ADHD looks so different. So mm-hmm. the session is going to depend on the child's needs, but I will say always involves parent involvement because what we want to be doing is training the child and then training the parent to provide that infrastructure. As the child starts to make steps steps in the right direction and implementing the various systems, the parent, we want them to be their biggest cheerleader. I mean, it's always mm-hmm. our job, my job to work myself out of a job. So if I can help equip mm-hmm. you, mom, equip you, dad, to help to parent and love the child and the brain that they've been given, it's a win. And so I just love this educating part of trying to understand in a deeper way. And yeah. so always parents involved,
0: if that answers your question, for sure. I, got it. I love it. Um, and what is the best way for people to get in touch with you if If they want more information or to maybe even get their job connected to you.
1: Probably the easiest way is our our website, raleighpsychology.org. Um, okay. would be the easiest way my email I think is on there. phone number awesome
0: well thank you so much I feel like there's so much more I want to talk about with you so we might need to do another session but thanks to everyone who joined us if you have particular questions for Amy please put those in if you're listening to this after we've um, streamed it live um, and we can get those questions answered for you but thanks again Amy and um, hope, hopefully we can do this again soon. <laughs> thanks for having me. all right yeah, see I you Thank you for joining me today, and if you connected with something that was said, I hope you will share this with a friend, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for sharing this journey with me, at home, where it all begins.